Hello, you're listening to Sonographers Spill the Tea, a podcast aimed at achieving safety in sonography, fostering education and empowerment. Our goal is to share raw conversations on pertinent industry information that will incite real conversations in the diagnostic ultrasound community. And if you're enjoying all the tea in sonography, don't be shy. Share with someone you like. And also, click the like button and subscribe to wherever you're enjoying today's episode. Don't forget to join our Facebook group by the same name, Sonographers Spill the Tea, where you can dive deeper into a topic and community and submit your ideas for some freshly spilled tea. Don't forget, you can also join our learning platform at teamsano.ultrasafeultrasounds.com to access exclusive content on ergonomics, biomechanics, soft tissue recovery, and other injury prevention and empowering resources. Remember, this podcast is powered by Ultrasafe Ultrasounds, your number one provider of staffing, safety, and training solutions for both organizations and workforce members. Visit www.ultrasafeultrasounds.com today to find out how you can best benefit by choosing the gold standard in healthcare for optimizing safety in sonography for patient, provider, and practice. Email info at ultrasafeultrasounds.com or text us at 512-270-0278 to learn more. That's info at ultrasafeultrasounds.com or 512-270-0238. Now please enjoy today's episode of Sonographers Spill the Tea. This week's Tea in Sonography features me, Sandy Copeland, RDMS. I'm super excited to do this podcast. I'm really passionate about women's health issues and making sure our patients are well taken care of. Hey, everybody, it's your girl, Joanna Hall, coming to you with some freshly spilled tea in sonography. And I've got a guest with me, Sandy Copeland, who is an incredible sonographer. And all we're going to be doing is chatting a little bit today on what a sonographer's implication can possibly be um, with the reversal of Roe versus Wade. Um, This is an extremely important conversation to have regarding women's care, health care in general, and how that may or may not affect the ultrasound industry with our role in obstetrics and gynecology. So Sandy, if you wouldn't mind just spilling a little bit of tea about who you are and the pleasure that we get to have enjoying your company with us for this conversation. Talk to you. My name is Sandy, uh, organization here. I'm a relatively new sonographer. I'm just a couple of years under my belt. Um, I work with a great team of folks and, um, I, you know, I'm really interested to see how the Roe v. Wade overturn um, plays out. A hundred percent agree, Sandy. So just a disclaimer here. Um, we're going to try to keep this as apolitical as possible. OK, so for some of you guys who this may be a, to- a topic that is a little touchy, maybe it's not an episode for you. Um, but for anybody else who just wants to chat a little bit about what this could be, this is an excellent episode for you. So we're going to put a little bit of background to the conversation before we hit the ground running, which is what exactly is Roe v. Wade. Um, So Sandy, from my understanding, Roe v. Wade was something, it was a Supreme Court decision that really 
protected the right to life under the 14th Amendment. And it was a case that happened in the 70s back in Texas. Um, This was a high court ruling that said that typically we are looking at the viability of a fetus to determine when they are a person or when they have personhood. this decision, which is about a procedure, right? It's not about the woman. It's about the right to access a procedure. Um, And so the right to access that procedure, that constitutional right to have access to a medical procedure um, was granted back in 1973 and just got overturned about a week ago. Um, So tell me your thoughts on a little bit of that feedback. And does that seem to be on par with what you understand with what Roe v. Wade represents? So yes, that matches up with my understanding of Roe v. Wade. Um, It's really about when um, fetus or an embryo becomes a person and the the access to um, care, health care, which is very important to distinguish. This is a health care topic that Roe v. Wade gave access to that health care. And now that that has been revoked. Correct. Exactly. So let's let's be really clear when it comes to abortion law, it regulates the procedure. Okay. And so when we think about women's rights, it's not that they may not have the right to the abortion. It's the timing that they are allowed to have that access um, and where that timing is and that boundary is actually being set. So it's a restriction. And we, when we start restricting healthcare, um, that's a very dangerous place. That's, you know, when you're going to your insurance company and you have a pre-existing condition, which pregnancy is considered, it is considered a pre-existing condition. Some insurances may not want to cover you if you were pregnant before you became covered by them because it is a pre-existing condition like cancer. It is a condition. And so when you limit access to care for any condition, um, you limit human rights to health care. And I think that's what a lot of our chat is going to be about. It is just really about the limitation and restriction to access for health care. And in this case, it's going to be for women in the case of obtaining an abortion. So tell me, Sandy, what your thoughts are as a sonographer about when we may be able to see um, an embryo go from an embryo to a fetus to a person, maybe when you may consider um, when viability is based on your training, um, when we're in the ultrasound room and we are confirming viability for our physicians. So, um, you know, my understanding of confirming viability means that we see the markers for um, the beginnings of the formation of a fetus, right? That's where you start. And then you, you progress on to, you know, gestational sac, yolk sac, fetal pole, heart rate, uh, fetal heart tones, stained. Um, so I think that's part of the topic also. Absolutely. I agree. That's dynamic. And that's what healthcare is. It's an extraordinarily dynamic profession to be in. So when we're thinking about when we can see fetal heart tones, when we have implantation bleeding, you know, we're looking at other things when we're evaluating a patient, typically 
be, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to just stick with Texas here since Roe v. Wade started in Texas and we have some established laws that have taken place in Texas. I'm just going to use that as just kind of a landmark state for us to reference. But we think about Texas and the restriction, right, that they put on access to abortion medically in a healthcare setting where you're safe um, and, and not subjecting yourself to further uh, trauma. They say after six weeks, um, you are no longer eligible unless there is maybe a physician that sees some type of a reason where they now deem you eligible. You do not have the constitutional right after six weeks in the state of Texas to make that decision for yourself now, you're going to have to make it under the advisement of a medical professional um, and under whatever the state says that you can do. Um, but I don't know about you and any other sonographers, please um, chime in, drop a comment, subscribe, go to our Facebook group, Sonographers Spill the Tea, where we can dive into this a little bit further. But typically, before that six-week mark, we're not really able to confirm fetal heart tones. As a matter of fact, um, our calc packages may not even be able to give us a date or a gestational age if that gestational sac doesn't fit our calc package, right? It has to be a certain size. And sometimes that size doesn't even kick in until that five week, five day mark. Um, and sometimes at that five week, six day mark, we can still see a fetal pole. Like it's there and you want to zoom in really, really close, make sure that if there's any fetal or cardiac activity, you grab it with M mode and prove the presence or absence of that fetal heart tone. But Sandy, Here's where things can get a little bit sticky. Just because there is no fetal heart tone before six weeks does not necessarily mean that that is not a viable pregnancy. Typically, we'll have the patients come back, right? So tell me your thoughts on what could potentially be a race for women to get into their doctor's office to confirm viability, to get access to care when typically at that time frame anyway, it just does not mesh medically or sonographically in the characteristics that we use to confirm presence of fetal heart tones. So tell me your thoughts on that. So um, prior to this, I had been told that most of my local um, OBGYN offices did not even see new patients with new pregnancies until about the eight week mark. Um, and that's because that's the time period where you can really confirm all of that information. So if they're not seeing new patients, how are these people supposed to confirm whether they are in fact pregnant, whether that pregnancy has any remnants or, or indications of viability and um, what to do if it does or doesn't? Um, while making that deadline that Texas and, and some other states as well have set. Um, so. I'm not sure if um, I'm 100% I'm correct on this, but I was under the understanding that um, as of right now, Texas has that six week ban, but that's temporary. And after um, the next two weeks, um, they have an appeals process going on. After that appeals is exhausted, it will be a full on ban on abortion. Um, so even before the six week mark, and we're talking about folks that don't even know that they're pregnant by that point. And now the second they find out their options are taken away. 
and they're, and they're just kind of slim to numb. They don't even, they, they don't even have the option for them to take it away at that point. And, um, yes. like full disclosure, even for my last pregnancy, um, and I have insurance, right. I had a commercial insurance. I had a backup secondary insurance. I had all the insurance and I still could not get an appointment for my kid until I was 13 weeks pregnant. I was already damn near in the second trimester before I got in to see my doctor yes. as a new pregnancy patient. And of course, that's with all of the resources that you did have. Um, and can you imagine if you didn't have those resources, what kind of position you would be in? Well, typically there's a lot of patients. I'm sure you've seen them as well. They're Medicare patients. They're waiting to get confirmation that they got coverage. They're signed double their stuff. They're, they're waiting to be able to get confirmation so that they can give that information to the doctor and actually get the appointment. So exactly that takes time. The government moves super duper slow. So they don't care that you just got pregnant and that the other half of the government says, if you don't see the doctor like yesterday, um, that your rights are gone constitutionally. Um, and yeah. now you have to uh, advocate for yourself why or why not you may need access to this medical procedure. And that kind of brings me to my next so point. Even, Go ahead. Oh, even pre-COVID, I mean, um, your government office has moved at a tortoise pace. I mean, it was, you know, get in there, fill out all this paperwork, wait to wait to hear something. If you don't follow up, they're not calling you. So you have to follow up and make sure all the stuff is done. And now after COVID, I mean, they're short staffed, they're backlogged. Things are taking forever. So it's even longer. You could be waiting four to six weeks. I mean, I don't know this, just I haven't, you know, dove into that. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I can imagine that the wait is much longer than it even used to be. A hundred percent agree. And that's all pre-COVID, right? We've all been to the DMV, just bring food and water. You know, you're going to be there for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to be on SNAP and WIC and and have to do all of those wonderful things. I was born and raised in the South Bronx. You know, I've got a very much started from the bottom. Now we're here type story. Um, But when I needed access to those things, I was entirely Mm -hmm. grateful for it. But yeah, it took time and they're not going to follow up with you. So here you go again. You're calling again. You're on the phone for two hours hours just wait like listen I'd like to reconfirm um I, I really need this appointment and two hours later maybe they answered uh and maybe the phone line disconnected and you have to call again tomorrow because you have officially yes. exhausted time and you are angry and you were like I'm not calling them back <laughs> so um, it's really yes. hard. And when you have that desperation um, for care, because you need it with resources, we have a hard time getting in with care. So those who don't have access to all those resources, yes. and I've been on that side as well, it's extraordinarily difficult. And so my my worry going forward is, are we going to see in sonography, in the ER, an uptick in patients who are doing what desperate people need to be able to do to get access to care. Um, And what happened before we had that constitutional right to access these procedures was there were women who would stick a hanger up into their vaginal canal and traumatically try to get through their cervix to abort that pregnancy, to make it non-viable. Typically, we look for perforation of the uterus for an IUD, but I believe that we may be seeing perforated uteruses um, and cervixes and just trauma to the labia, to the vaginal canal, and so many other 
other different areas um, for women who are, if you, either you help me or I'm going to do it myself. So what do you want to do? Um, what are your thoughts on a possible yeah. uptick in traumatic pelvic pathology going forward from here? I think it's definitely a possibility. And that's just because, like you said, that's what desperate people do. Um, you read or you heard or you think this might help and it might work. And so you're desperate and you will try anything. And, um, you know, I have seen recently over the Internet, all these different, you know, cures, remedies, home remedies. And I, I mean, from what I know and. I'm not a doctor, but they seem very dangerous. And if we're already at that point, where will we progress in the coming weeks when these things really take effect? Because some of these things aren't even effective yet. They're, they're effective 30 days after the judgment is, is issued. And officially the judgment hasn't been issued. So 30 days after that judgment is officially issued, these things will take effect officially. And so, you know, the, the ramifications of what is happening, we're at, you know, in the next coming weeks, in the next coming months, we're probably going to start seeing those things. I agree. And just like the pandemic, right? When that started, it took some time to kind of see what was or was not going to happen, what the result was going to be from, you know, an increase in point of care ultrasound. Now everybody needs to know how to do lungs and then an increase in echoes because of the, you know, what was going on in the respiratory system and how that affected the heart and other organs. So we got to see what happened over time with that. Mm -hmm. um, but if the great resignation is not any proof that when people need to figure out a way, they're going to figure out a way because they have to eat. They a survival mode is going to kick in no matter what you can yes. go from being domesticated yes. to wild. Okay. We are all still have animal instincts and you're going to do what you got to do. You're going to go benefit versus yeah. risk where you're, whether you're a civilian or you're a healthcare provider, you're going to go benefit versus risk. And if the risk yeah. of sticking, sticking a wire hanger up my hoo-ha to possibly get rid of this kid, because for whatever reason, and I don't mean to sound like that, like get rid of this kid. I don't mean to sound like that for anybody. It may have hurt their ears to hear, yeah. but we don't know the circumstances around that desperation between having to get rid of that pregnancy for that person. Um, and so either you help me or you don't. And so um, my, my thought process going forward is, is that that's exactly what's going to wind up happening when we see what people will do when they don't have a choice, right? In the pandemic, people didn't have a choice. They either had to get fired, they had to get furloughed, they had to go to work. Um, and then all of a sudden, people got furloughed and got, you know, burnt out and tired. They figured out a way to work from home, start a business. And, and now everybody's, hey, where'd you go? Uh, well, we figured it out because we were desperate and you left I mean, us no choice, you know? And so now here we are two years later. But remember that desperation. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that desperation during the pandemic. I mean, people were drinking bleach. I mean, that if if people were willing to drink bleach to keep from getting COVID, we're looking at you, bleach to drinkers. To yes, <laughs> a lifelong commitment to raising another human being. I mean, right. like to, the to risk being sick and the you know the ramifications of COVID. Not to downplay that at all, but that doesn't compare to the lifelong commitment of raising another person. Right. What is that? You still have to be able to feed that person. So, I mean, to grow them. what everybody's going to do with. 
you know, you still have to be able to get access to yes. food and everything to make sure you have enough to sustain that other person. And if you vote, if you're like, well, I can't, I can't even eat. So we're both going to starve again. We don't know what that person's situation is, but if they have decided that doing that, if it succeeds, that's it. Good. And if not, then they're, they're bleeding. They still get to go to the hospital and hopefully they succeeded with whatever that they were doing, but they're going to go, well, either way, I'm going to get to go to the hospital and get care now because now it's emergent, you know? So, but um, that was another point is, you know, what are the ramifications of that? Like there are laws in place that have penalties for um, providing or assisting to provide uh, an abortion. Does that apply to a pregnant person who tries to abort their own fetus by their own hands or um, is it only for medical providers who provide that service? Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you know, the significant those... other. I mean, there are yes. domestic violent cases up the hoo-ha where maybe yes. the father got that lady pregnant and oops, you don't want your chick to find out. But now you can't just pay the four hundred dollars um, because we all know that obviously it, abortion is not always used appropriately. Right. And yes. that's where we want to stick up for the baby and say, hey, they're entitled to this, too. Um, so there's so many situations situations that we can't even really cover all that. But just to kind of play devil's advocate, what if the father doesn't want that pregnancy to go through and he is now the desperate person um, yes. and, and maybe he does something traumatic to the female to induce that abortion? Well, now what are her rights as the victim and his implications as not only being an assaulter, um, but now you have helped to cause the miscarriage. So what yes. happens there? And then is it our responsibility in any way, shape or form as the sonographer to see? I see trauma in the uterus. Um, I perhaps see a fearful woman. Um, I see a man who's like looking over my shoulder to you know make sure that I get whatever he thinks he can see on the screen. Um, But then what's the sonographer's legal responsibility, ethical responsibility at that point to report? Yeah. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, is probably going to vary state by state because these laws are state by state. So I would encourage people to look up the laws in their own state and to know what they're expected to do in these situations. And not only their laws, but check with their employer and see what their employer is expecting them to do in these situations. And and ask for a reference in writing of what am I supposed to do in this situation? How should I report this? Am I required to report this? Um, because, of course, if you have a fearful woman and all that, you want to take care of her. She is your patient to make sure that you take care of her and provide her the best care that you can. A worker a little bit, you know, um, and and taking note of situations that cause you a red flag. You you see a red flag and and you bring it to someone's attention. But um, as far as like legal obligation, you have to look that up in your state and see what's required, but then check with your employer and make sure that they give you something in writing to show you that, yes, you have to report this. No, you don't have to report that. Um, so that you know, and you're not violating any of their policies or any laws. I love that piece of information, Sandy. I'm so glad that you said that because it's really important for listeners to be well-informed 
where they are. And that's not just how their state governs, but how their private employer may govern as well. So those are such excellent points to bring up when it comes to trying to be fully informed to know what options, if any, you do have and what time frame you may have to actually exercise them. And of course, you have to think about what your um, moral compass tells you. What are you willing to do and what are you not willing to do? And examine that and make sure that it aligns with the laws in the state and the regulations of your employer. And if it change it for a new employer, change, you know, lobby to change the laws, do the things, make sure that everything aligns. And if it doesn't do something about it. I 100% agree. And there's, there's so much difficulty in getting continuity with laws that affect everyone. I mean, you would think in some way, the law would kind of run parallel with like science and biology um, and what actually sets the definition of human life. But even in the scientific community, um, there's some differentiation between when folks actually say when a fertilized cell or embryo or fetus actually becomes a human being. Um, Some folks think it's at conception, like when that sperm meets that egg and they are in, you know, one cell that's going to go ahead and cleavage into other cells, then that's when it happens. Um, Some people say it's biologically life cannot, you know, begin that conception, which is the the most accepted um, in the scientific community that that is when it starts. But there's also other areas where, you know, folks in the scientific community, biologists say that life actually starts, you know, is it when you have that single cell zygote? Is it when that zygote can no longer cleavage into a twin, into a triplet? Um, Is it when fetal heart tones kick in? Is it at that 24 week, you know, mark where now there's specific human brainwave patterns that you can actually detect that the fetus has? Um, in ultrasound, typically anything before 20 weeks is like a spontaneous abortion. If we lose it, no matter what they call it, they call it an abortion, no matter how it happens. Whereas after 20 weeks, it's a yes. fetal demise. And so even within how we describe the um, loss of a pregnancy, mm-hmm. we use the word abortion for anything before 20 weeks, um, whether that was spontaneous, the body itself expelled, or whether that was medical and had to have assistance. It's still an aborted pregnancy. So tell me your thoughts just as a sonographer on when you think life actually begins. Some folks also think it doesn't happen until you actually give birth, you know, so some differentiation there. I'd love your thoughts and feedback. So um, the the biggest concern that I have is for uh, the law is so ambiguous and biologists who this is their life. So if a group of like-minded people who have all spent their life's work studying this cannot come to a conclusion um, and the law is so ambiguous, um, let's just suppose that they um, make a law where life begins at conception, not implantation, but at um, fertilization, right? Mm. Um, Not implantation, but just fertilization. That means that opens the doorway for bans on contraception, bans on plan B. It opens the doorway for those things. So, um, you know, realistically, can can that 
fertilized egg survive outside of a womb? No, it can't. It's not going to live. They freeze eggs and do all these other things with them, of course. But is it going to survive and grow into a human being at that point? No, it's not. It's also not going to do that at fertilization, at, at implantation. Um, it's not going to do that at the first sign of fetal heart tones. Um, you know, I, I haven't spent my life studying all the biology, the ins and outs. So it, I really don't have an answer on when I believe that life begins. But that someone who did not spend their life's work studying this should be making a law to regulate when it begins. Girl, everything so you that's said, that's how it is. is. You know, stay in your Girl, yeah. And, and if this is something that folks who study this, this is their life's work and they cannot come up with a consensus opinion. I love everything that you said. And really, that leaves it open to biologists being criminally implicated as well. If there's an IVF doctor who yeah. has a um, an egg and a sperm that has been fertilized and is ready for implantation, well, what if they like spill the Petri dish on the floor or something or like decide to flush it down the toilet maliciously? Like, is yes. there any legal ramification then for that doctor who did yes. he just did he just take a life? Did he just take a human life? So that that's very, very difficult. Yes. There's a lot of like, and, yes, it's exactly it opens that door. And there's so and that's I like you're saying this ambiguity is what opens the door to a lot of stickiness going forward. And if, you know, if there's an ectopic um, like you had pointed out to and we're thinking about at least in the state of Texas, um, then yes, you may, you know, that access to that procedure um, may be more accessible because it wouldn't be considered a viable pregnancy, right? It is outside of the uterus. It is ectopic. Mm -hmm. So then that may be able to give you access to it legally um from a medical standpoint but yes. there's like you're saying there's so much ambiguity to this there's so much that we don't know there are sonographers that scan um i imagine in some of these clinics that may be out of work now um i wonder what the thought process is for them um yeah. if they're going hey this is what i was doing maybe it didn't make them feel good maybe they didn't care one way or another um but either way they can be out of a job now and so so um, there's just so much we can probably continue to dive into and talk about when it comes to um, life, sonography, um, obstetrics and gynecology, government, and how all of those things are just muddling up together at this point when it comes to women's care and access um, to be able to make a, an informed decision uh, when it comes to our bodies. But yeah. I just want to thank you so much for taking some time to hang out out with us and and really just have such a great conversation about what we're going to potentially be in for um, throughout the rest of 2022, 2023, the end of the decade. Um, I wonder what that's going to mean for my daughters, what kind of conversations yeah. I may have to have with them. Because when I was born, this was not a conversation I had to have. Um, I had that constitutional right uh, full transparency. I have exercised yes. that constitutional right. Um, and now my daughters don't have that. So I'm going to have to chat with them in an appropriate time for their age 
um, to say, hey, listen, this is a new conversation when it comes to uh, women's care, government, healthcare, I homeschool. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, I have to teach my kids everything. Um, but I love that you were able to bring up such incredible points um, and have such a great conversation and spill some really interesting tea in sonography. So thank you so much for being with us. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I wish that I had answers to all these questions that I have, but I mean, I think only time will tell. I 100% agree. Only time is going to be able to answer the questions we do have and answer the questions that we don't even know that we have because we're still waiting to see how things are going to unfold. But in the meantime, for anybody that is listening to our voices, make sure that you are familiar with the laws for access to a procedure, a medical procedure. Make sure you're familiar with your state, your country. Right now, we're kind of talking about what's going on in America. I know some of our listeners are overseas, probably wondering what is going on over there. Um, That's what's going on over here. (laughs) So um, make sure you're familiar with your country. Make sure you're familiar (laughs) with your state laws. Make sure you're familiar with your employer. Stay informed. Knowledge is power. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes the knowledge that we have is not as comprehensive as the knowledge that we need, but that's what we're here for, to continue to give you guys guidance, support, and having great conversations like this that will hopefully spark some really important conversations for our listeners going forward. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, um, or any tea that you want to spill, go ahead and send us a message. You can join our Facebook group, Sonographers Spill the Tea. It's a free group where we can dive a little deeper. Um, or you're welcome to go to ultrasafeultrasounds.com, connect with us like that, um, or any other social platforms. If you just want to chat a little bit more about tea and sonography, subscribe to the podcast, drop comments, and all those wonderful social things that we have to tell you to do. Uh, Sandy, it was a pleasure. Um, is there anything else, any parting words of wisdom um, that you would like to share with our listeners? I don't have any parting words of wisdom, but I am super interested in what everybody out there across the country is experiencing. So I, if you can just drop a comment, let me know what's going on where you are um, so I, I can stay informed. Beautiful. You guys heard it. Make sure that you keep us informed so we can continue to have great conversations and make sure that you join us for the next episode where we're just going to go ahead and keep on spilling that freshly spilt tea in sonography. So we will see y'all next time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to Sonographer Spill the Tea. To get more servings of tea in sonography, join our hashtag Team Sonal Learning Platform where you can train in certified courses on ergomechanics, soft tissue recovery versus scar tissue rehabilitation, and other best practices in ultrasound. And if you enjoyed our show, be sure to share, like, comment, and subscribe. We love hearing from you.